this week on Buffy the Gilmore Slayer. To be fair, swans don't f*** with rich boys. Welcome to Buffy the Gilmore Slayer. I'm Brian Morris. I'm Stacey Kulo. We're comedians. And a couple. And I've never seen Gilmore Girls, one of Stacey's favorite shows. And I've never seen Buffy the Vampire Slayer, one of Brian's favorite shows. So we're watching both shows together, all seven seasons, comparing them as we go. And this week we watch season five, episode 20 of both shows, starting with Gilmore Girls, How Many Quillpogs to Cape Cod? As well as Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Spiral. Well, one has a longer title. One has a much shorter title. And that's been the episode this week, guys. Not a lot of other stuff to say. Yeah, I'm going to have to go Buffy just because it was a shorter title. Yeah, that's fair. We're tired. I mean, I like (laughs) both titles, you know, but... (laughs) Both are decent titles, actually. Yeah, but I'm going to have to go with Spiral this time. Well, anyway, uh, Charmed was a terrible title, so we're not even going to address it. We had a lot going on this week. Yeah, it was my birthday. It was. Happy birthday. Not when this comes out anymore, but in real time, it was my birthday. Somebody sent us a Giles action figure. Yeah, a friend of mine who listens to the podcast and is watching both shows for the first time sent us a Fiesta Giles action figure. He's got a chainsaw and a cross with a knife in it. Yeah, he's cool. And we also went to Central Park and we played Blood in the Clock Tower with a bunch of Stacey's friends. That was super fun. Super hot, but super fun. It was hot, but we found a nice shady spot below the castle. And a drag queen came up to me and told me I look like some delicious white chocolate. That just happened. I didn't make that up. That, that happened. happened. That's true. He was not in drag, but, but he, he told said he was us. a queen. He's yeah. a queen and then said I look delicious, which is nice. Thank you. Yeah. Happy birthday to you. Yeah. <laughs> we, and you took me out to dinner. That was lovely. Yes. Very good. We mm-hmm. went to a place in our neighborhood we'd never been. Super good food. And then we came home and watched episode two of Nathan Fielder's new HBO show, The Rehearsal. We love. I don't know if you're familiar with Nathan Fielder. He had a show called Nathan For You where he like helped people with their businesses, but he's like a weirdo that has like no shame or emotions. It's uh, he's a weird human. He's like a robot that gets comedy. Yeah, he like messes with people. But this show's a little different. I don't want to spoil it too much. Just dive right into it. But uh it does have a Buffy connection. So, first off, I want to say that he recreates the bar from New York. And it's a bar I go to all the time to do comedy at. So yeah. it was like weird to be like, oh, I know I know this place. It's like it's like a random bar, too. It's probably one of the bars we've been to more than any other bar, though. Yeah. But it, yeah, they make an exact replica of it. And we're like, holy shit, we've been there. Yeah, like a lot. And also, he hires an actor. We won't go into the details, but he hires an actor to play somebody. And it's Mr. Trick. Yeah, I didn't realize it while we were watching it. But at the end, I think... In the credits, I was like, I know that name. I looked it up and I was like, oh, because it's 20 years later or so. Yeah. Anyway, we had crazy weeks. We also have a new five-star review. Yeah. Thank you so much to I Don't Have a Good Nickname. (laughs) That's the name. Yeah. (laughs) All right, cool. Thank you. All right, Brian. Should we get into the episodes? Let's do it. So this week, we started with Gilmore Girls. Brian, tell us about how many Quopogs to Cape Cod. Sure. So this episode is all about Logan being introduced to the family and also a little bit about Lorelai's future. Yeah. So this has got like a really quick cold open. It's the episode starts with the girls on the phone with each other, silently watching their twin pink Roombas like vacuuming the house in Rory's dorm. 
It's kind of funny because they're just sitting there looking at the ground and you don't know what's happening. And then we zoom down and see the Roombas. It felt like they had a lot to fit in this episode. And they just needed to throw something in there before the credits. <laughs> yeah, they're like, we got 10 seconds. What could we do? <laughs> Maybe also Roombas were new or something. I don't know. Yeah, they got, we got one pink Roomba. We could take it to two different sets. <laughs> That's true. Lorelai has a pink phone right now. They're very into pink things. Yeah. Lorelai's a girl. I don't know if you knew. Oh, that's how you can tell. That's how you can tell. Paris is in a real good mood this episode. She is just walking through the dorms, singing, walking on sunshine, because things are great between her and Doyle. Paris points out that things are also going great for Rory, because things are going great with her and Logan. And she points out that they're so happy and things are so wonderful because they have boyfriends. Isn't that great? couple things. One, this is an interesting juxtaposition because like one or two episodes ago, both girls were depressed because they weren't having success with their boyfriends. Mm -hmm. Now both of them have like wrangled commitment from their boyfriends and are so happy. But honestly, this like comment from Paris seems like super out of character for her. Yeah, kind of. Like we have worth and happiness now because we're with men. It does seem like not something she would believe in. Yeah, and I also wouldn't have a problem with Paris, like, actually feeling that, but then, like, maybe commenting on herself a little bit, you know? Sure. Being like, oh, we're both happy with men. And then she'd be like, well, did I just say that? That's, I gotta read a book about women or something, you know? Like, <laughs> did I just say that? I need to go to a march or something to make up for it. I need the pink Roomba. Let me touch it. <laughs> But it just seems like she's got like so many like feminist like t-shirts. Like she was putting a feminist t-shirt on Doyle when he was sick the other day. It just seems to me that someone as analytical as Paris and so entrenched in her beliefs, she like wouldn't ever say that. Or if she did, like I said, she'd like think about and examine why she thought and felt that way. Anyway, whatever. They're both happy because their boyfriends are committing to them now. Logan shows up wearing a weird-ass sweater with squares on it. I just thought it looked weird. I just want to point that out. It looked very weird. It did. Yeah. They're all, like, down one side of him. I feel like he's always wearing a sweater. Might be wrong. But you know what he is always doing? Every time we see Logan so far, he's like, hey, Rory, are we eating? That's, like, what he does every time. He, walks he also in, hangs out like, very close to a phone at all times. Yes. We'll get to it, but there's twice in this episode where he answers the phone and it's, like, already in his hand when it rings. Yeah. But every time we see him with Rory, he's taking her to buy food. One time it wasn't for food. I'll agree. Once it was to tuck fuck her into bed, but generally <laughs> it's about food. I feel like fuck her into bed would have been. I said tuck fuck. It's different. <laughs> fuck tuck? Fuck tuck? Whatever you want to call it. It was consensual. It was fine. He wasn't wearing this weird sweater. Everyone was happy. Rory is very excited and also very nervous about her new newspaper internship. This is the internship that Logan's father offered her in the last episode as sort of an apology for how rude his family was to her at their family dinner. So Rory, being Rory, has like uber prepared for this and has like Googled and researched Logan's father like a maniac and took extensive, like sort of an alarming amount of notes about his life. For me, this would be like kind of a red flag if I were Logan. I'd be like, why do you have so many notes about my dad right now? Like, are you, are you trying to fuck my dad? Like, there's a lot of notes, like pages of notes about his father. Honestly, if I were Logan, I'd be like, do you like me? Or are you just trying to use me to get to my dad at this point? Yeah, I totally know what you mean. I totally know what you mean. Rory is pretty impressed with Mitchum Huntsberger's journalistic achievements. Like, apparently he has done quite a bit. Like, he was in Haiti. He also did, like, a bunch on wine she was impressed about. So she's just, like, studying wine in general now and also just Haiti so she could talk to him about it, I guess. That's all going to come to play later. Meanwhile, Luke finds Taylor in the Twickham house. He's trapped underneath some of his uh, mannequins. 
If you remember, Taylor turned the house into like a living museum with talking mannequins a few episodes back, and Luke wanted to buy the house to maybe raise a family in. Taylor is currently trapped under a fallen mannequin horse. He probably just can't lift it, because if you remember, he permanently ruined his pecs in that birdbath lifting incident years back. <laughs> Luke convinces Taylor that his museum dreams are not coming true, and this whole thing was a bust, so he should just sell the Twickham house. This scene was kind of funny because, like, Taylor's, like, still holding on hope. And he's like, well, maybe we'll do, like, uh, some bus bench ads. And he says they come highly recommended by the rap artist 50 Cent. Just fun hearing Taylor say 50 Cent. It's also funny because Luke, like, waited two hours to go rescue him. <laughs> Kirk yeah, told him two hours. Yeah, yeah. Also, Kirk didn't tell anyone else. I mean, who else would come help Taylor, honestly? Yeah. And he also only agrees to, like, help him out from under the horse after he agrees to sell the house. Yeah. Well, I mean... Taylor's evil, so you gotta do it that way. Oh, yeah. That Friday at Friday night dinner, Emily and Richard are talking about Emily being younger and how she got in trouble for elbowing an opposing field hockey player in a parking lot after a game. This does sound like young Emily. Also, could we just get a show called Young Emily? <laughs> I'm talking about the husband-stealing, parking lot rumbling miscreant known as Emily Gilmore. I want to see that. I guess it was Emily, not Gilmore at that point. Yeah, I think there's a strong audience for that. I'm telling you, man, she was getting into stuff, and I would love to see that. Richard's excited about her new tennis outfits she's going to be wearing. Yeah, this is interesting because he mentions that, and Emily's like, oh, don't do that in front of Rory. And Rory's like, I know things, (laughs) and that'll come into play later. Rory fucks her grandparents. (laughs) What? No, it doesn't happen. Well, I hope not. I don't know what happened season six. I know there's a story like A lot of people don't like season six. There's a reason. Rory casually mentions about having dinner with Logan at his parents' house, and Richard and Emily flip. They are freaking out because they have now broken rich person protocol by not having reciprocated and invited Logan to their house for dinner as well. In, like, an approved period of time. Yeah. Do you think Logan cares? No, definitely not. Logan doesn't care, but, like, maybe his parents do, and they also don't know Logan. They might think he's like his parents. Yeah, this definitely feels like, I don't know. Things we don't do that our parents did. Right. Sending cards. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. RSVPing in the mail. Do you guys remember mail? Like, this alarmed concern about getting him an invite as soon as possible is super funny. Richard, like, wants to send a messenger over, like, that night. They both run to go get their schedule books and then demand that Rory, like, call Logan right now and mention the, the dinner. So Rory does call him, and he agrees to go. He genuinely seems, like, to care about this because Rory wants it, too. Like, you can see in his face, he's like, I don't want to go. But she's like, you know, this is important. You got to go. And he's like, all right. This is one of those times where he answers his phone right away. Yes, it's on the table, but he he grabs it after one ring as if he was waiting for it to ring. But also, this is the easiest any of Rory's three boyfriends have said they would come to dinner. That's exactly what I was thinking. Dean was very hard to get there. Had a bad time. Yeah. Jess was pretty hard to get there. That maybe could have gone better if it wasn't for Rory. But Logan's like, yeah, it's just something I gotta do as a rich boy. To be fair, swans don't fuck with rich boys. So he might be safe. Is that canon? That's canon. Swan canon? Swan canon, yeah. It's swan protocol. Swan law. (laughs) We don't Swan fuck long. with rich boys, guys. Nah, you bite the poor ones. <laughs> Maybe nibble a middle class. <laughs> but don't fuck with the rich ones. Now get out there and bite the poor. <laughs> you got it, mom and dad. Anyway, I don't know where the fuck we're going with that, but we went there. I did like the carrier pigeon bit in the scene. Speaking of birds. 
Yeah, the carrier pigeon bit was pretty funny. Rory makes a joke about her grandfather sending an invite via carrier pigeon. And then Logan like smacks the window a little while later saying one came. Yeah, she's like, that's not funny. He's like, that's a little funny. It was. It was funny. He's funny. He's got like similar humor to Christopher, I think. He's like quick. Yeah. Dean's not really funny. Jess is funny, but not with Rory. Right. He's funny with Luke, but he doesn't really do comedy with Rory. Maybe a little bit. I don't know that Jess, up until this point, has, like, really even communicated very well with Rory, like, in any respect. Yeah. Only half Jess's mouth works, so it's hard for him to get words out, especially about emotions. (laughs) True. For anyone that's like, that's not fair, the guy's doing fine, his body's amazing. (laughs) But my point is, it's fun to see Rory have that relationship banter that we've seen Lorelai have. That's true. Absolutely. Then we have a scene where Lorelai's having dinner at Luke's. And Lorelai happens to see some guys carrying away some, like, lady mannequins from Taylor's museum. And she says to Luke, oh, are the guys unusually lonely these days? Super fucking funny. It was also really cute because she tells Luke that Rory's coming and he was, like, very excited. Yeah. For her and for him. I don't know. He was just like, oh, Rory's coming. Just seemed very genuinely happy. Yeah, he does. And maybe part of that happiness is because Taylor's going to sell that museum to him. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. He was excited that Rory's coming. She's coming because uh, Lane's band is going to play at 3 a.m. the next day. So she's going to come into town, go to sleep, wake up at 2, and then go to the concert. So Rory shows up at Luke's, and she mentions that Logan is going to be coming to the next Friday night dinner. And Lorelai's all like, oh, well, that sounds fun. I don't really care. Cut to Lorelai waking Rory up at 12.30 a.m. demanding that she gets to go to meet Logan, too. I like this cut. The yeah. show doesn't do this. I don't know. It was very, like, sitcom-y. Yeah. It was funny because she's like, oh, okay, whatever. And then, like, I'm going. Yeah. Of course, Rory's like, well, then you got to talk to grandmother. Like, I'm not going to talk to her for you. You got to make sure she knows you're coming, even though you guys, like, aren't talking right now. This scene's also funny because sleepy, sleepy Rory's like, can we talk about this tomorrow? And Lorelai says, it is tomorrow. Yeah. And it's not fair that Rich and Emily get to meet him first. To be fair, they've all met him. Yes. I mean, momentarily. So when Lorelai finally does reluctantly call her mother, it's all pretty funny because she doesn't say hello immediately. So Emily just starts berating the quote unquote prank caller. (laughs) She's like, you know, as far as perverted phone calls go, this is a very poor one. (laughs) I was like, what? Has has Emily ever had a perverted phone call where she hangs up? She's like, that was gross. But I have to say, well done. It was good. Good work. (laughs) Gotta respect it. Gotta respect the game. I feel like Lauren Graham did a really good job. Because there's just like a while where you don't know that she's about to make a call, but you could kind of just tell that that's what was going to happen. She's like hesitating and just her reaction was good. When Lorelai finally does say hello, Emily's like, you're calling? Is somebody dead? Why are you calling? It becomes clear to Emily very quickly that Lorelai is coming to meet Logan specifically. That's the only reason she would show up. So she gives Lorelai this ultimatum. She's like, you either come to all of the Friday night dinners from now on or you can't come to this one. Part of me, though, is like, why does she just just say, yeah, okay, come see Logan and then don't go anymore? Like, you're going to make things worse? That's Luke says that later. Like, things are already terrible. The way Emily says it, though, is like, you know the rules. You come to all of them or none of them. But, like, Lorelai's out of the contract. That's that's swan cannon. That's a good point. You're absolutely right. It's Like, like, Rory has to go, but I don't know if it's ever been established that you have to come to all of them if you come to one. I feel like Lorelai's allowed to come whenever she wants, and she's just exactly. not coming anymore because of the Christopher thing. Right. So, I, I don't know. Emily's being mean. I mean, I guess I get why she's upset. Lorelai's clearly coming not for the right reasons. But also, Emily's awful and evil. So, you know who would have made a good power couple? Emily and that mannequin horse? Yeah. <laughs> 
Yes. What were you going to say? No, I meant Taylor Dozier. <laughs> I figured that's what you meant. All right. Anyway, before Friday night dinner, Rory starts her new internship where a woman with a very gravelly voice says that she's going to get a picture ID. And Rory loves that. She's like, I've never had a picture ID. But you pointed out that she has had a picture ID. For school, she took a photo ID for college. Yeah. We saw it, I think. It was a bad picture. Yeah, so that was weird. Maybe she meant professional. Rory is awkward and feels out of place. And honestly, it's really cute how excited Rory is for her new internship. She's like jogging through the office to yeah. her trainer. I feel like Alexis plays this super well. She like takes selfies on her hilariously old phone. It's just funny to see the way she's taking a selfie with this old flip phone next to the water cooler, grabs herself an official newspaper coffee. Yeah, she flips it so that the back of it is facing her because that's the only way phones took pictures. It's just yeah. like I had to wrap my mind around the physics of what she was doing. There's a fun scene where she's got to find a guy named Harry and she doesn't know who he is. So she just sort of awkwardly shouts Harry over a bunch of cubicles until he pops his head up. Yeah. And then she goes running to him. When Huntsberger finally shows up, everyone is sort of like in awe. And Harry hears that Rory knows him and he asks her, like, what's he like? And then she just starts spouting off some facts she remembers. She's like, Episcopalian, second of four children, oldest boy, hates peace. That's funny. Rory is struggling, like she's struggling to keep up even with Huntsberger or be assertive enough to like enter rooms he goes into or even talk to him without sounding like a weirdo. At some point, she tries to make small talk about like his four minute mile in school. And he's like, what What are you talking about? Yeah, I feel bad because she's not like sure if she should go into the room when the door gets slammed. And I, I don't know, like, she's supposed to shadow him, but I would feel weird if the door got shut too. I was thinking that door shut thing is like super relatable. I just remember like first time at a job or like a, in a group, like a, an organization and like there's like, you know, kind of high level people going somewhere. You're like, am I part of that? Am I supposed to go? Or is it like weird if I go, especially in the comedy world? Sometimes it's like you're working with like a, you know, a big shot comedian and they go somewhere. I'm like, am I supposed to go too? Or yeah. is am I not cool enough to go yet? I don't know what the protocol is. She says later that everyone went to lunch and she didn't know what to do. So she just like stood in the break room for 45 minutes. I yeah. think I relate to that. Like, oh, yeah. Being at a new job. This place I worked in Brooklyn briefly. I didn't really know what lunch looked like. I don't think I brought anything. I was like, I'll just go get lunch. And I like went to this little cafe that was nearby. and just like sat there and ate lunch for like mm -hmm. half hour. Yeah. And then I went back and they were like, you don't leave for lunch. Everyone eats lunch here. Like you can leave and get something, but you don't eat somewhere. I'm like, that seems kind of crazy actually, but okay. Why didn't yeah. you tell me? It is crazy. I didn't work there very long. It, it sucks there. Don't work there. No, you went for lunch and never came back. I remember. <laughs> I did. So, you know, she's not fitting in. She's really nervous. Uh, and at some point, she calls Logan to ask for advice about bonding with his father. Logan, of course, is like, well, like, he doesn't like me at all, so I have no advice for you. But then Rory tells him that this is very important to her. And then, like, you see him, like, kind of shift, like, okay, well, then I have to come up with something. And then he tells her a few things, like, his dad doesn't like double talk. He notices who stays late. And he doesn't drink coffee after 4 p.m. because of his high blood pressure. Will any of that help? Who knows? This is the phone call where he's like already got the phone in his hand. Yeah. It's also weird, though, because when he says hello, he acts like he knows who it is. Right. But I don't think it's got caller ID. It's just like a cordless phone. But also she's calling from a phone in the office of an office that his dad just acquired. So like he wouldn't know that number. I mean, there's maybe a scene we that may have happened before where she called him from there. But you're absolutely right. Yeah, it doesn't really make sense. 
They're just like cutting corners with their phone ringing and answering. Yeah, you know, and I like it when shows take their time with phone calls. I like a good good two, three rings. Two, three rings. Sometimes no one answers. Then you call back and say, hey, I was in the bathroom. I'm sorry. Finish a bite of your sandwich before you answer. You're not just picking up immediately. (laughs) They saved all that time with the Roomba stuff at the top of the show. (laughs) They could have thrown in some longer phone rings. We would never have gotten the Roomba reveal if they would have done full phone calls. We would have just seen them looking at the floor, cut to the theme song. Anyway, later, Lorelai and Luke are having a fancy dinner he made for them at his apartment. No big deal. He makes fancy dinners. When she gets a phone call from Richard. Richard said one of his clients from the Durham Group, a business that buys and manages boutique inns, called about Lorelai's inn. There's some buzz about her inn being the cover story of the upcoming issue of American Traveler magazine. Now, if you remember... Lorelai had an interview. It went really well, but she said some negative stuff about her mother. So she asked the reporter to not run the story. She at least left a message saying, please don't run the story. But it sounds like that article is going to be run. And this is news to Lorelai. But luckily, her dad doesn't know what's in that story yet. Apparently, that's something papers can do or magazines can do. Printed even if you say don't do it. Well, once you've said stuff on the record, you said it on the record. It's on the record. To be fair, this magazine has every right to publish the story. Although, to be real with you, why some magazine who is trying to be like, we love this inn and everybody in, in it, would then be like, but let's burn this bridge with that inn, doesn't make sense to me. Right. Anyway, there's a guy who wants to meet with Lorelai. He told Richard that he thinks that she's an up-and-comer. And this guy is big on, like, buying boutique inns and selling them. And he wants to meet with Lorelai. And he's also asking Richard questions like, you know, does she travel? So the insinuation is that he might have some proposals for Lorelai. Maybe he'll buy her in, let her manage it. Maybe he'll offer her the option of managing other inns, but the idea of travel suggests that it's not some low-level job. Richard is very impressed with all this, and he ends the call by saying that he's quite proud of Lorelai, and it was honestly very touching. It was. I liked it a lot. They're in a good place right now. It's kind of interesting that her and Emily are so bad, but her and Richard are like better than ever. Right. I mean, Richard, let's be fair, he's not a saint. He's done shitty things. But I I mean, I want him and his daughter and granddaughter to get along. And this was nice, specifically being proud of his daughter, considering she's made so many decisions that are the opposite of what he wanted for her. When she gets off the phone, she tells Luke about this guy and about how he's asking about traveling and maybe she'll get to travel for this new job. And this upsets Luke. Clearly, the stuff Dean said to him about Lorelai getting bored with Luke and the town struck a nerve and is now worrying Luke. He's like, you don't want someone to buy this in. You just opened it. He tells Lorelai that she doesn't need to meet with this guy at all. And she agrees. She's like, you're right. Yeah, 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 you're right. But then Luke, wonderful, beautiful Luke, realizes that he's giving her bad advice from a place of selfishness and tells her that she should meet with this guy. I love this scene because it shows us Luke's true colors, that he wants what's best for Lorelai, even if it maybe threatens his future with her. I mean, this is like legit love. Yeah. He's like, yeah, you don't need to do this. And she's like, yeah, I don't. And it's done. It's set. He said what he needed to say. He saved himself this like risk of having her travel and getting bored with him. He wasn't convincing her. That's what she wanted. She agreed. She didn't want to meet with this guy. No, but part of him knew that she should. Yeah, yeah. And he like switches to encouraging her to. Yeah. And I think my point is that he says all this stuff. He's like, done deal. Everything's fine. But, like, some part of him, his conscience is like, come on, you know it's a good idea for Lorelai to meet this guy. It can only provide opportunities. You're being selfish and paranoid. And so he tells her. And it just shows us that Luke legit cares about her and isn't just like, she makes me happy, so we're staying together. It's not just 
that she makes him happy or horny or whatever, it's love. Mm-hmm. I loved it. Love Luke. This is great. Good job, Luke. Although, who knows? Maybe this is why they break up. Luke, you made a mistake. Well, that Friday, Emily and Richard are getting ready for the dinner. And Emily, as always, is uh, a lot. (laughs) There's this great scene where the maid is like happily putting some lilies on the table. And then a smiling Emily waltzes over to the maid and says in a friendly voice, These are fragrant lilies. Would you like to eat dinner with fragrant lilies in the room? And the maid's like, Yes, I would. And Emily's like, Well, then you're insane. (laughs) (laughs) apparently you cannot enjoy a nice dinner with floral scents in the room she replaces them with peonies correct me if i'm wrong but i i recall peonies being kind of stanky flowers it's so funny emily's like deceptively nice demeanor and how she like flipped on that maid is hilarious richard and emily uh have logan and rory's whole future planned out they want them married and plopping out children at a family compound at cape cod maybe I'm not totally clear about what this planning is about. Like, they want to get real estate in Cape Cod, but they were saying, like, maybe it's finally time. Like, what are you talking about? Like, I think they're going to buy some land for their growing family, which is maybe for the first time seeing, like, it's going to grow. Yeah, I guess. Uh, in Cape Cod, sure. Like, vacation land? I don't know. I'm not a rich person, but yeah, it I seems know. like they said acreage specifically. So, like, a bunch of land. Where they can have their grandbabies run around. Yeah, they're very excited about this plan. Emily says, picture his blonde hair and her blue eyes on a little baby. But that means that old brown-haired Christopher better have some blonde recessives in his genetic makeup. Otherwise, it just isn't possible. Like, the the Gilmores clearly all have brown hair. Dark hair. Emily's got, like, red hair. Uh, Is that her natural color hair, though? I don't know. But Christopher's also got brown hair. Now, it's possible he's got some, like, blonde recessive in there. I don't know what his parents look like. His dad died, okay? Sorry, he's dead. We've met his parents. He had white hair, I think. (laughs) My point is, it's just, like, a weird thing to say when you're like, what is the likelihood that they could have a blonde baby? True, to be fair, though, you and I have lighter brown hair, and we both were very blonde babies, so their baby could still be blonde. (laughs) Yes, their baby will be blonde for a little while. This has been Jeans. Lorelai shows up to the opposite of fanfare. Emily opens the door and just says, oh, and just walks away, telling the maid to take her daughter's coat. (laughs) Safe to say things are cold between them. Lorelai awkwardly follows Emily into the dining room where Emily says, what are you doing here? And Lorelai's like, "Uh, I don't know, I just sort of followed you. (laughs) Then Emily calls for Richard to come sit with (laughs) Lorelai, like she's to be babysat or something. And as soon as he sits down to start talking with her, Emily, like, demands he come into the room. She's like, Richard, I need your help. So Lorelai's just sitting there by herself, unattended. She might get in some trouble. Yeah. When Rory and Logan finally show up, Richard and Emily just, like, immediately and cartoonishly start fawning over Logan. Like, complimenting every single thing he does. They spend, like, five minutes going on about how much they love his lapel length. Later, they go gaga over the fact that he uses email and his parking job is fabulous. (laughs) Like, everything, like, if he farted, they would have been like, oh, it wafted so well. Like, they love this guy. (laughs) There's also a very quick line from Lorelai, because she's been told to sit and have, like, a babysitter. She asks Rory how she's sitting, which was (laughs) funny. Logan orders a Macallan Neat, to which Emily says, I adore a man who drinks his scotch neat. Richard echoes this sentiment. Jesus, guys, just like for two seconds, lay off the compliments. You're right. Lorelai does give Rory eyes here. Yeah. I 
took it to mean like, wow, there being a lot. Yeah. Where you were like, is it because he's getting alcohol? But they do say later he's 22. So I don't think it was that. No, I don't think it was the alcohol. It's just they've made a big deal about like previous boyfriends or whatever getting alcohol. or But like here he is old enough to be having alcohol. So it's not it's not weird. Yeah. I also she orders like a soda water. I feel like it's a little weird to me that they don't let her drink. I feel like in family settings like this, of privilege specifically, they would let their kid drink. You're, it's not illegal at your family home. Yeah, I don't. I think she just doesn't want to. She doesn't seem like a big drinker. Right. Then Emily starts gaslighting Lorelai super hard. She's doling out drinks to everyone. Then she's like, your usual Lorelai? A sidecar? Lorelai's like, no, I've never, ever gotten a sidecar. I always get a martini, like, every time I've been here. And Emily acts, like, surprised. She's like, really? I could have sworn you were a sidecar girl. Do you think she legit forgot, or do you think no, she's being mean? No, no, not at all. She's, this is all, like, a like some kind of weird psychological game. Hmm. Surprised she didn't, like, offer her a beer. So the martini that she wants is a gin martini with an olive. Yes. She says that's what it's always been. That seemed incorrect to me. So I went back to an episode where I specifically remember her ordering a martini, which is when they go to the spa and go to the 4060 bar. Yes. It's vodka with a twist. That's so funny. Yeah. I don't know what she orders generally at their house. I'm sure there's an episode where she says, but I'm pretty sure it's always a twist. That's so interesting because I feel like the insinuation, this whole scene, the only way to read it is that Emily's fucking with Lorelai. So I think that must have just been a writing mistake. I think that's that's my point. I think it's a writing mistake. But that's so interesting that they would fuck up their own writing like that. Yeah. Well, anyway, Emily just keeps on getting Lorelai's drink specifics wrong, suggesting Lorelai wants vodka, and she says she always gets gin, although we know that's a lie. She says, oh, you want it with a twist? And she's like, no, I always get it with an olive, which we know now is a lie. (laughs) Yeah, Lorelai's lying. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a different way to read it, I guess. And she just, Emily just keeps saying stuff like this. Like, you know, she doesn't remember any of this. Then Logan makes a hilarious Crowpog's measuring joke, which just kills Emily and Richard. A Crowpog is a unit of measurement based on the height of an old Yaley from the 40s. Guys in my high school did this. There oh, yeah? was a kid named Blake that was kind of short. They would measure things in Blake's. That's funny. Not for Blake, probably, but for them. Yeah, I don't know. Blake was doing all right. He was cute. Really? Mm-hmm. This joke is so hilarious that Richard forgets to bring Lorelai her martini. So Emily goes to get it, and instead of an olive, she puts a fucking baby onion in it. And she's all like, oh, is that not what you wanted? Emily is stolen, cold, insane. I mean, that's just, she's insane. When dinner is ready, Lorelai asks if there'll be more booze at dinner because she hasn't been able to get even a crow pog of gin since her first drink. Yeah, it was unclear if the implication was that everyone else got a second drink. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if they usually have two before dinner, because then they also drink with dinner. Yeah, I felt like that was the insinuation, but it would also it would have been weird, too, if they'd gotten everyone else drinks and not Lorelai. I feel yeah. like someone would have brought attention to that. But anyway, she says she hasn't been able to get a crow pog of gin since her first drink, and then Richard hilariously corrects her, saying that a crow pog is a unit of distance, not volume. <laughs> it was super funny to me, because I really don't think that he was, like, trying to be rude or dismissive. It's he was just, just that, pointing it out. Yeah, he was just like, no, that joke doesn't make logical sense, Lorelai. Point of order. <laughs> yeah. It's just, like, that kind of thing is important to him. He's like, no, that needs to be corrected. And it's really funny, because Emily's, like, intentionally being, like, evil, and he was just like, no, that just doesn't make sense. I thought that was very funny. Yeah. 
Logan also asks what's for dinner, and they say it's a roast. And Lorelai says, yeah, who doesn't like a good roast? Obviously alluding to, like, what Emily is doing to her right now. I didn't even think of that. Oh, yeah. Then Logan's bad boy side shows up. As part of a life and death brigade tradition, whenever he's at a rich person's house, he always steals some little knickknack and replaces it with the knickknack stolen from the previous house. Rory sees him doing that and objects, but then acquiesces pretty quickly. She actually kind of maybe seems like like she's into it a little bit. It's kind of a good bit. Yeah. I'm not saying I would do that. That's stealing, but it's kind of funny. Yeah, well, you got to think that they're at these like mega rich people's houses. And like people like Emily, I honestly don't give a shit if someone steals from her. Like, she's so mean to people. I feel like you can't steal something from, like, the main room, though. Or it's going to be something, like, important. If it's just, like, some thing in, like, a guest bedroom or whatever, that's different. Yeah, yeah. Logan assures Rory that the rich people never notice. But obviously, as soon as Emily returns, she immediately notices that some antique is gone. Lorelai sees all this, and she doesn't say anything. But you can tell that she's, like, not super jazzed about what happened. But then Emily starts, like, really freaking out looking for her antique sewing box and starts accusing the maid of having stolen it. Then Lorelai makes eye contact with Logan and puts her hand out and says, like, Mom, I found it. And so Logan gives it to Lorelai. I think this is a little telling about Logan's character here, that he didn't miraculously find it himself when he saw that the maid was being berated. Like, he was going to let the maid take blame for this, like, silly stunt he was doing. Yeah. Like, it'd be one thing to do this and then see it was going south and then be like, oh, is this what you're talking about? I was just looking at it or something like that. But he was just like, nah, I this maid's going to get fired. Who cares? I mean, to be fair, that maid's going to get fired no matter what. But Yeah, still. maybe he knew that. Maybe he knew that. Yeah, he heard about the Lily incident. He's like, I can't even eat in here. The Lily scent is still here. Anyway, at dinner, Richard and Emily start, like, laying the marriage plans on pretty thick. Like, Emily's pretty much just telling them that they need to buy some land in Cape Cod and start pumping out beautiful rich babies. It was funny. Emily just kept saying Cape Cod, and Lorelai's like, Mom, did you get a job at the Cape Cod Chamber of Commerce? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and they just, like, keep laying it on. Lorelai, like, again tries to break up the conversation flow by saying that she thinks internships are a communist plot. Emily asks her if she's lost her mind. Then Lorelai, like, shakes her head a little bit. She's like, no, no, still sloshing around in there. That was super funny to me. It's so sad because I feel like Lorelai and Logan would get along. But not in this environment. Right. She's just like an outsider in this. Yeah. But I feel like Logan's not, like, above hanging out Rory and Lorelai style. Yeah, I don't think so either. In fact, I would bet that he would, unlike previous boyfriends, although Dean did, unlike Jess... I feel like Logan would, like, even try to impress Lorelai a little bit and, like, yeah. hang out and try to seem like a good boyfriend. Finally, Logan's like, I got an early day tomorrow. I got to go. Emily's like, oh, my God, you have an early day? I'm so sorry. We shouldn't have kept you so long. He's like, no big deal. I got to go. Do you think that's true? Lorelai, like, insinuates it's not, but they don't uh, really ever say. They don't ever say. I feel like Lorelai's probably right. They might have just wanted to go. Yeah. I don't know that anything happened that was, like, oh, we got to get out of here. They might have just been like, okay, do we want to be here another hour? You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. Let's just come with a reason to leave. But then Laura like calls out Richard and Emily for putting so much pressure on Rory and Logan to get married and have kids and be successful in exactly the way they want. All of this is clearly true. I mean, it was transparent and not cool of them. But I think what Emily then says to Lorelai is also kind of true. Yeah, She's like, well, you're just very prejudiced against rich upper class people like Logan. He's perfect for Rory and you don't care. And that might also be true. Yeah, like you're letting your own taste cloud your judgment. Yeah, exactly. And then I kind of feel like the next few things Lorelai says sort of back that up. 
Because Lorelai could just let it go or just be like, you guys are being too much. But instead, she then starts listing like flaws of Logan's, which is like, you don't have to do that because this whole issue wasn't that, you know, you don't like Logan. The issue was the way they were acting. So why then throw Logan under the bus? To be fair, the things she lists, though, are big red flags. Like he stole Emily's thing, which they just choose not to believe. Right. The Huntsburgers weren't nice to Rory, which they choose not to believe. Yes. But then also the thing at the wedding. She's like, they were going to have sex at your vow renewal. They missed the point that she made sex. I don't think they did. No, because she's like, they were kissing. And they just like don't seem to be getting the tone behind the, the word kissing that she's trying to insinuate. Well, she says kissing again. I still don't think they get it. Yeah. Well, maybe not. Maybe you're right. But you're right, too. I think that Lorelai is right and that they're being way too pushy with this marriage thing, considering how long they've been a couple and how old they are. Right. And Rory and Logan can see through that, I'm sure. But also, yeah, I do think Lorelai is prepped to not like Logan because of her own past. Yeah. And just what she's seen of him. Yeah. And how he's made Rory sad a few times. And also, I was just thinking that, like, these are probably things Rory would not want Lorelai to say. Yeah. And it's one thing if she says he's too Rory. It's another thing if it's like, well, you really you shit all over Logan in front of Grandma and Grandpa? Like, why would you do that? Yeah. So I think Emily and Richard need to chill, and I think Lorelai needs to be a little more accepting. Yeah. It's possible Lorelai saw that scene from that episode where Logan first gets introduced, and he has that weird thing with Rory outside her room and says, call me master and commander. Now, if she saw that scene from the show, obviously you're not going to want to have Logan be your daughter's boyfriend, but that does seem impossible. Yeah. The scene ends with Emily and Richard getting up and like walking away from the table, telling Lorelai to have some coffee, and... <laughs> Emily's like, maybe you just had one too many sidecars. <laughs> Funny. Another fun food fact about this scene is that they're having an avocado salad with beet dressing. Yeah. Very early episode, Lorelai mentioned that she hated avocado. Yeah, I, the show is not consistent with characters' desires, wants, or any of that shit. Well, I wonder, though, if it was intentional because of Lorelai hates avocado and Emily's okay. serving that. That's interesting. I bet they forgot that considering they forgot her drink. But Yeah, but also, like... We didn't see her make a funny face, like, ugh, or something like that. Right. So I don't think it was intentional, but I like to think that it could have been. Yeah, I would like to think that, too. Well, let's think it, baby. But given how they fucked up her drink, I don't feel like <laughs> yeah, true. We're not forgiving them. Yeah. So we get one more scene back at the internship in this episode, where Logan's dad shows up for a meeting, and Rory hands him a coffee. And he looks at his watch, because it's after four. And she says, when he's looking at his watch, that, oh, it's decaf. And he's pleasantly surprised and thanks her. So it looks like some of Logan's advice worked. And then he invites her into the room. Yep. He, they go in the room and she's sort of standing outside again like, should I enter? And he's all like, what are you waiting for, Gilmore? An engraved invitation. And she smiles and goes in and everything's great. The last scene is Lorelai and Sugi eating at Sugi's house. It's nighttime. They have the kitchen staff over making food for Sugi to taste and give advice on so that Manny, her temporary replacement during her maternity leave, can keep the quality of food at the inn very high. Lorelai tells Suki that she took that meeting with that fancy inn guy, and he wants Lorelai to do something with him. He's got lots of options, like buying the inn, or just investing in the inn, or having her travel around the world to like tell other people how to run their inns. She might even travel to France as part of the job. Suki's excited. She's like, oh, well, I can't go, though, because I got Jackson and Davey and her yet-to-be-named child, but, you know, Lorelai could. And then the episode ends with Lorelai maybe thinking it over. 
I imagine at the same moment, Luke is like tossing and turning in his bed, not knowing why he can't sleep. <laughs> but that's the end of the episode. So, Stacy, Huh. Do you think this is a good episode? Yeah, it was pretty good. I feel like I remembered this one quite a bit, despite not remembering the previous one. I wonder if I just like never saw the previous one or something. But so much of this was familiar. The internship was very familiar. But yeah, the internship was kind of fun. It was cute to see Roy in that environment. And I thought the Friday night dinner was pretty good. Emily and Richard were like too much. I feel like a perfect Friday night dinner's got a good fight with like a really quick, fast, funny scene too. And mm-hmm. there were some jokes, but like they were they were too much. The fight was pretty good though. And the Luke and Lorelai stuff was was interesting. That's that's maybe setting up some drama. Yep. And that, that Luke scene was really cute. You're right. But yeah, not the best one ever, but I think maybe better than the last couple. Yeah, it, it had some funny lines in it, but it wasn't also one of the, like, every line is funny, like some of the previous ones. So I would say it was pretty good. We're definitely moving along with the plot. Also, like, I, I'm not quite sure. Lorelai and Emily are, like, going from not speaking at all to, like, the, I don't know. I don't know that I buy their relationship. I don't know that I buy that Lorelai would have gone to Friday Night Dinner, quite honestly. Yeah, she could have just, like, invited Logan over or done something with them in New Haven. Yeah, I feel like it would be crazy to be like, hey, I'd love to come grab dinner with you guys sometimes. Let's go to a restaurant or something. But I do think part of it is she didn't want Emily to meet him first. I get that, but I feel like given how much she hates her mother, right? I don't know. But I think it's the same coin. If she just let it happen, Emily gets to meet him first and... She didn't want that. Otherwise, she'd have to, like, make plans with Logan beforehand. Yeah. It just seemed like a step backward, honestly. Because, like, we went from, like, I'm not talking to my mother. I'm hanging up on my mother. I'm telling my mom to shut up when I see her. To, like, I'm going to play nice. I mean, it didn't go well. I know it didn't go well, but I just, I don't know. That's how I feel. Well, she told Rory she was going to go, but she wasn't going to talk to her mom. She was, like, purely going to hang out with Logan and Rory. Sure. But, um, I enjoyed it. Okay, speaking of things that we enjoyed, um, let's do something else. Uh, (laughs) Wow, look at you, Segway. And now for a special segment we enjoy calling Meanwhile Uncharmed. Charmed was another popular WB show airing around the same time that neither of us have seen. But we're discussing it anyway. Based only on its IMDb summaries. Brian, what happened on Charmed? Meanwhile on Charmed, Season 5, Episode 20, Sense and Sense-ability... The Charmed Ones are weakened with an old crone. Guest star Grace Zabriski magically steals their senses, making Piper blind, Phoebe deaf, and Paige mute in an effort to steal Piper's baby, who holds the vision of all power. I feel like we just had a crone. There's a lot of crones in this world. Yeah, a crone in episode 16 was plotting to steal Wyatt, the baby, and his power. Are crones just like women who steal babies? Must be. Was that crone played by a Grace? Let's see. She was. She was in that episode as the crone. So this is the same crone. Apparently she doesn't have a name. We're just a crone. In her name, she's credited as the crone. Is a crone different than, a, is like the opposite of a stork? What do you mean opposite? One's a bird. Well, stork brings you babies. Oh, maybe, maybe. So anyway, if you guys didn't know, a crone looks just like a bird. But we do need to remember also that the last episode ended on a cliffhanger of Paige getting turned into a nymph, so. Right. And now she's a mute nymph, which is the worst kind of nymph. The crone shows up at the house. Yeah. Makes Piper blind so she can't find her baby. She can't see him. She makes Phoebe deaf. So she can't hear that Piper needs help. Right. The baby's not crying because he's a good little magic boy. 
But weirdly enough, Paige is the one that figures out how to solve the problem because the crone is friends with the nymph. She sends a message to them and they're all like, whoa, did you hear the crone's about to get the baby? And Paige can't respond because she's mute, but she goes home. She's like, I'll be right back. I'll finish being a nymph with you guys. Then there's a hilarious scene. Yeah. So Paige gets there and has to pantomime all of this to Phoebe. Piper, of course, can't see it, so she has no idea. Then Phoebe tells Piper what's up, and then the three of them find the crone right when she's grabbing the baby and stop her. The crone herself had a hard time finding the baby, because she is also mute, deaf, and blind. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But she's like, if I give them each one of these, she can't make them all three, all of them. She can only... Give out one at a time. It really, honestly, if it had been any other person, they would have found this baby pretty quickly. But she really struggles. Yeah. But, I mean, the baby also holds the vision of all power. So he was he was doing some shit, too, to, like, yeah. play tricks on her and yeah. throw things in her way. It was kind of like that movie where the baby el- eludes all those uh, criminals. I forget what it's called, but Boss it's a movie. baby? No, this is from, like, the 90s. Honey, I blew up the kid? No. Baby? Day Out? That might be it. Definitely was Baby's Day Out is the movie I'm thinking of. Okay. Well, good for Baby. This has been Meanwhile on Charmed. We just want to take a second now to let you guys know about Summer Water, a very special product from our friends at Wink.com. Summer Water is an award-winning, highly praised dry rosé and one of Wink's top-selling products. It's so well-liked that Wink gave it its own wine club, the Summer Water Societe. Society members receive 10% off their orders, free shipping, and random surprises included in the delivery. You can order packs of 4, 8, or 12 bottles, including the regular Summer Water Rosé, or try their chilled red. It's also available in Summer Water Rosé Droplets, which are fun-sized single-serving bottles. Stay stocked in Rosé for your summer events and all year round. If you're interested, you can sign up using the Summer Water link in our episode description. We also watched Buffy this week, as we do every week. Stacy, could you please tell us about the super funny, hilarious, heartwarming episode of Buffy called Spiral? There was some funny stuff. So this episode is about Buffy not really knowing what to do about Gore anymore, because she's, she's coming, and um, she's strong, and they're out of ideas. So they run away, and it goes badly. <laughs> yeah. So the previously on tells us a lot, reminds us of everything. Every single freaking time they remind us of that scene where Buffy tells Spike he only has a chance with her if she's unconscious. Is that going to happen at some point? I mean, the Buffy bot happened, but there's nothing about that really in this episode. So why do we need to keep seeing that line again? It was weird. It is weird. I mean, maybe it's to let us know that like Buffy isn't going to fuck him. Like, I, I don't know. Yeah, but she's opening up to him more in this episode. Yeah. Anyway, as expected, the episode picks up right where the last one left off. Glory busted down the wall of Tara's dorm, and Tara outs Dawn as the key. Buffy quickly runs away with Dawn. She does so by grabbing her and breaking through the door. It seems like it would have just been easier for everyone if she just opened it. Yeah, she has to, like, recover from jumping through it. And That would hurt Dawn? I don't know why they didn't set up that the door was locked. I mean, maybe Buffy wasn't thinking very clearly. She's just like, gotta get the fuck out of here with Dawn right now. Yeah. Willow does a quick spell that sort of throws Glory back to buy them all some time to run. And Dawn can't run as fast as Buffy. It's kind of a funny cut where it clearly switches to some kind of stunt double or like maybe even a man in a wig. Yeah. That picks up Dawn. 
Cause yeah, totally. The face is like turned all the way to the side, so we can't see the face. Because I just don't think Sarah Michelle Geller could actually like lift Michelle Trachtenberg that convincingly. They're about the Not same size. And move at the same time. No, but Glory's like lightning fast and just catches up with them immediately. But luckily, she gives Dawn the chance to say some last words, like all villains do for some reason. Yeah. And then a huge truck just happens to be driving by, hits her. Knocks her onto the roof of a car where she turns into Ben. That worked out. Yeah. So they all go to Xander's place to figure out what to do next. Dawn's recounting the story very excitedly. She calls Glory blonde. You also seem to think Glory's blonde, but back me up, folks. She's not blonde. She's blonde. She's not blonde. Guys, She's like brownish guys, red hair. Guys, guys, please. Just do me a favor, okay? Please. Just imagine Rory's blue eyes. <laughs> And, and Glory's blonde hair. I don't know why we're calling her blonde. Dawn also says she has good feet. Has she seen her feet? I mean, she's got a lot of shoes. Yeah, maybe when Dawn was hanging out with her, she had some revealing shoes on. Whatever. Dawn's doing fine. She's not traumatized at all. Buffy's not as excited as Dawn. She's just staring out the window, paranoid. She knows the truck was just luck and probably didn't really do anything to hurt Glory. Well, she knows it's more than that. She's like... It doesn't make sense that she didn't catch up and kill us. Right, because she doesn't know that her. Glory turned into Ben. Yeah. But it's also starting to weigh on her that they have no idea how to beat her. Yeah. Likely never will find a way. She knows she's coming after them and that she's got no problem just killing all of them. So she pitches, they leave. They run away. Everyone's all like, what does that entail exactly? She's like, I'll figure it out. Just pack your shit. Meanwhile, we meet a lady minion that Ben's just hanging out with at Glory's place. This episode explains a decent amount of, like, Glory and Ben and Dawn, but I still have a lot of questions about Ben. Like, yeah. Are, are they just cool with him hanging out here? I guess he, like, is her, but I don't know. They don't seem what do you to mean? like, like him. Well, but there's nothing they can do about it. They set up in this episode that if he were to die, that might be the only way to kill Glory. That's true. So, I mean, the minions aren't going to be like, go live on the street. They're going to be like, yeah, we don't like you, but, like, obviously you can stay here. Yeah. But also, like, their god is, like completely unforgiving and, like, tortures them and shit. So, like, I don't know that Ben being mean is any worse to them than Glory. Sure. But this woman informs us and reminds Ben that he only exists because of Glory. Yep. He says, you mean because she's a failure? And he says he didn't ask for this. He just wants to be normal. And that he just wants to be a doctor so he can be with people and experience people's lives and humanity. He also reveals that he's been taking some kind of drugs to try to suppress the Glory. Is that true? Did you rewatch it? I thought he said that he like might try to find the right kind of drugs. Like that might be an answer. Or has he been taking drugs? Um, yeah, after he says that whole thing about like just wanting to be with people and all that, he's like, maybe it's just the drugs. As if like that's why he's talking that way. I see. So I, I think it's implied he is taking some kind of drugs. And the the almost called the crone. The minion, the lady minion, the aka crone. A crone. <laughs> seems to be like, wait a minute, you're doing what? Like she doesn't like that he's maybe taking drugs. Mm-hmm. He's doing this, though, because he knows that if Glory finds the key, he won't exist anymore. So he might be interested in looking for the key so he can destroy it so that Glory can't use it and he can live. But this minion's like, you think you can, like, kill a human, though? And Ben kind of doesn't seem like he can, but who knows? I have faith in you, Ben. You can kill a human. (laughs) So it kind of seems like Ben didn't exist before Glory. Yeah, I think that's the indication. And what the knight says later sort of backs that up. Yeah, we can talk about that more when we get there. 
At the hospital, a man with beautiful penmanship is signing out the Knight of Byzantium who was attacked by Glory a while back. We learn his name is Orlando. The original man is Orlando. Not the penmanship man. No, we don't know his name. But there's these two guys taking him out. There are two knights of Byzantium in like street clothes with little baseball hats to cover their little Ash Wednesday tattoos. They take him to the woods to meet the leader of the knights. And Orlando starts fondling some shiny jewels on the leader's cloak, which remind him of Dawn, the shiny little key girl. Dude's like, okay, we know where the key is then. That's great. And then he assembles like dozens of dudes who are just hanging out in this woods in medieval garb. Mm-hmm. I have so many questions about the knights too. Like their whole deal is more will come as long as needed. Yeah. And it makes sense to me that like some people would have this in their like family history. Mm-hmm. But if they keep dying, they must need to recruit over time, right? Right. So like where and how are they finding like new regular dudes <laughs> to join this little like fantasy role play club? I feel like Spike keeps referring to them as something like that throughout the whole episode. He calls them like the Renaissance Fair and like, yeah, like, yeah, like fantasy something. Yeah, but like, yeah, where are they getting new people? Like, hey, uh, you into cell phones and stuff? Well, what if you weren't? What if you <laughs> like gave up all real normal things and put on some chain mail and lived in the woods with us? Right, because there's just no way that this many like hot men in their 20s have dedicated their lives to this. From birth. They have to be getting new people if their whole business model is, we'll get as many as we need. Yeah, right. The gang's all waiting for Buffy to come pick them up, and she shows up in a giant RV that Spike's obviously driving due to the little sliver of an opening on the windshield. This doesn't make any sense. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so he's got this, like, this seems like a reference to a movie called After Dark, which is about vampires that had, like, a car where they did tinfoil over the windows. But... He also, so there's like a slot in the middle where sunlight can come in. It's like a rectangle. Yeah, and Spike can like get away with this because he's got like little goggles on. But his goggles just cover his eyes. So like the rest of his face would burn right off. Right. I'm trying to remember how his car has worked in the past. I feel like it's like just painted black, all the windows, right? And he kind of just looks through that. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. It's almost like why don't you just wear like a mask, like a ski mask. That would solve a lot of problems. And the goggles, you're all covered. Yeah. He needs a morph suit. Just wear a morph suit everywhere you go. You'll be a creepy, safe vampire. We have a couple morph suits, by the way. No big deal. Yeah, like two, three? We have three. We have at least three. Well, none of them are excited to see Spike, but Buffy insists that they need him because he's the only one that can really help protect Dawn, which I guess is true. Like Willow can do some stuff, but Spike's a way better fighter than anyone else. At least against Glory, He can't fight humans, which is important. Plus, Buffy can't drive, so someone had to bring this thing. (laughs) Buffy's very testy. She has like a tantrum and locks herself in the back room of the RV. Giles has taken over driving. Thank God. He has a slightly bigger opening. But his passengers aren't happy campers. Spike's upset with how slow Giles drives. Xander's car sick. Anya says Xander doesn't travel well. He's like a fine shrimp. And then later to get under his skin when he's sick, Spike just mutters, shrimp. (laughs) (laughs) Xander's also annoyed with Spike's obvious desire for Buffy still. But Giles admits that Buffy's maybe right about needing him. Xander's like, I don't know. Buffy seems kind of whack right now. But Giles insists she'll pull through and figure things out. Tara's along for the journey. She's still not in her right mind. So she opens the blinds a little, which burns Spike. Really, it should have burned his whole face. And they just kind of show that his hand is hurt. But I, I guess because he covered his face with his hand, that took the brunt of it. No, this show does another one of those things where he should be dead. But like, whatever. So much sun hits his whole face. 
And then later when they go to the little place, there's like sun coming in everywhere. So much sun. He's fine though. Tara's upset because the light's gone, which they just take to mean she's sad because they won't let her play with the blinds anymore. But back at the hospital mental ward, all the people in Tara's situation are also talking about how dark it is. To be fair, it is pretty dark where they are. But mm-hmm. then they all start saying, soon, soon. And then we see a couple minions doing some kind of, I don't know, thing with letters and symbols on the ground. And they're saying that things are going to happen soon because all the signs are in alignment. So something's going to happen soon. Dawn goes to the back room to visit Buffy. She thanks her for everything she's been doing to keep her safe. Buffy's like, no, I kind of suck right now. I'm running away. What's that about? (laughs) And just like everything that's happened in season five is really starting to hit her. Her boyfriend left. Her friend is crazy. Her mom died. It's a lot. And it's, it's getting to her. She's probably realizing now how much better a driver Riley would have been. Than Giles? Yeah. She's like, oh, he wouldn't have got car sick. He would have been in a drive. He can pick up Dawn, no problem. This would have been a really good job for Riley. Cut to Belize. He's just like living life. He's eating a demon. <laughs> Demon's eating him. He's having a great time. Yeah, he loves it both ways. <laughs> just Riley went to Belize and got deeper into his vampire problems. <laughs> Yeah, I love the idea that we just cut to him, like, in a bed moaning with, like, seven different demons sucking on his arms. Graham is, too. All of them. Just like, He's like, it was worth it. <laughs> but Don's like, well, things can't get any crazier, right? God damn it, Don, you fucking dumb idiot. <laughs> Cue Arrow through the side of the RV. They're being attacked by the knights. And then we get a chase scene. That's not something you get a lot of on the WB. No. Giles is doing some evasive maneuvers, and despite Willow asking them to not, he tries to hit the horsies. That was funny. That was really funny. She's like, yeah. don't hit the horsies. And Buffy's and like, she's like, hit the horsies. Yeah, she like whispers to Giles, like, aim for the horsies. Buffy hides on under the table. Some of the knights end up on the roof. They start stabbing their swords through the top. Spike kind of grabs a sword, I think just so he can't pull it back up to buy Buffy some time. Yeah. To catch the guy off guard. This really hurts Spike's hands. Dawn comes out from under the table to bandage him. Couldn't he come to her? She should stay under the table while the swords are happening. Also, he doesn't need a bandage. He'll be fine. Yeah. That really affects him the rest of the episode, though. Like, I get that it hurts. Like, I'm aware. that, But it's not like, oh, he'll bleed to death, guys. And it was sweet that he did it. Right. I just mean he doesn't need a bandage, like, ASAP. We can wait a bit. Yeah. One of them grabs Dawn through the window, though, and Anya... Beats him off with a frying pan. Xander hasn't done shit except reluctantly open the hatch for Buffy to go out. But Buffy manages to fight them all off. Except one who comes jousting straight towards the RV. He throws his spear towards the window, which stabs Giles in the side. I thought it looked like it missed. Like it was shot kind of weird. I want to say that I thought this action sequence is pretty cool. It's, it is absurd, right? It's like an mm-hmm. RV in like the desert with a bunch of knights on horseback coming with ancient medieval weapons. But, like, there's something badass about Buffy, like, going on the top of this RV, fighting, like, she's Morpheus from the Matrix. Yeah. Like, fighting all these dudes. That was pretty badass. And it was all practical effects. So it just looked way better than her, like, riding a CGI snake, you know? Sure, sure, sure. But, uh, Giles crashes the van. Things aren't, things aren't looking good. Yeah. So they're forced to go walking, looking for shelter. They find this, like, old abandoned gas station. They all agree this probably isn't the best place to hang out forever because it's really close to the car wreck for one, but Giles isn't doing great, so they might need to hang out here for a bit. The Knights have already gotten some new recruits from wherever they get them. 
Is it like a portal somewhere? Maybe they're cloning people. I mean, maybe they had more behind. I don't know. They've they've come pretty far. Maybe these are Warren makes them for them. Yeah, but they start axing their way into this place because it's just like old slats of wood. It's it's not it's not hard to break into with axes. Spike tries to fight them, but these guys are human, so that he can't do very well. The leader comes in. Buffy knocks him out. And then Willow manages to put up an energy barrier around the place. The knights have some clerics who get to work on praying the wall away. <laughs> Pray the wall away. <laughs> and Willow says she thinks it'll last like half a day, but I don't know. They're chanting pretty harsh. I think she says that and then she sees those guys and is like, uh. Yeah. Those dudes are chanting hard as hell. So they've got the general tied up. He's like, you were warned we would return, Slayer. She's like, took you long enough, which is what I'm saying. They showed up forever ago. It's been a minute. Where you guys been? He says that the instrument of chaos, Dawn, must be destroyed. Key is the link. The link must be severed. Such is the will of God. Yada, yada. We've heard it before. But he's like, yeah, she's kind of human now. So can we not do that? He's like, nah, she's dangerous. I don't really care what form she's in. It doesn't matter. She's got to die. This happens in a much more, like, serious way. but um, <laughs> yeah, Whatever, man. Like, we just gotta kill this girl. That's the vibe. That's the message. That's the message, though. This is interrupted, though, by Tara freaking out about time. Of course, all the dudes in the hospital are also freaking out about time. And they break out of their beds. They knock out their nurse and start walking somewhere. Orlando starts saying it's time. He's just dressed and ready to go with the knights. Why did they bring him? Yeah, this is insane. Because then his, like, buddy... Is all like, I'm not going to let you die. He just like, sta- his buddy stabs him. Yeah, he like tries to comfort him and tell him it'll all be okay. But then he just like kills him. I'm like, why go through the effort of dressing him up? And d- did he ride a horse? Was he in that chase scene? Like, yeah, like he's, he's not either just like you put him in chain mail. Like how easy was that? I feel like it was not. This was a challenge for several people. Like, they have to babysit Tara hard. This dude's yeah. in the same boat. They can't just, They need, like, like, four people to get her to eat applesauce. They're right. going to need a lot of people to get him in chain mail. It seems not helpful right now. I mean, maybe that dude wasn't supposed to just kill him. Maybe their code is like, we'll figure it out. And that guy just kind of did it as, like, a mercy kill. I think it would have been funny if he tried to stab him and was like, oh, God damn it, you're wearing armor. It didn't I know, work I was thinking that, too. <laughs> so Orlando's done. Then Buffy has a nice little moment with Giles. She tells him she's sorry for making them run away and that if they'd have stayed, this wouldn't have happened. He's like, no, no, you did the right thing and you put your heart above all else, which I've always admired. And he tells her he's proud of her and how far she's come and that she's everything he as a watcher could have ever hoped for. It's a, it feels like goodbye. Yeah, it's a big goodbye. I don't think he's going to die. I feel like he would have died in this episode. It just seems like weird that they would let him keep dying for like, Two more episodes and then kill him in the end. I don't know. He's not going to die. Yeah. Well, he seems like he's going to die. That's too much. They already killed Joyce in Orlando. Yeah. Well, for Orlando's dead, <laughs> that was too much to do another one. So Buffy's like, I got to do something. She asked Willow to open a door in the energy field so she can go talk to the dudes. She wants to see if they'll allow someone to come in and tend to Giles. They don't seem into this idea, but Xander does do something in this episode and reasons with them that it's like the honorable thing to do and reminds them that they do have their general hostage. So Buffy calls Ben because he's an almost doctor. But that's not a good idea, Buffy. You don't know what you're doing. Ben shows up, right? He sees that there's like an army of knights. To me, and this is just me, that would be a red flag. 
Yeah, I mean, they're quite hostile, but they do let him in. Apparently Buffy didn't warn him about them either. But I'm just thinking that like he must know that these knights are after glory. I don't know what he knows about the knights. But even if he doesn't know about the knights after glory, if I showed up and I saw like a thousand knights, I'd be like, you know what? I'm like half magical being. This might be for me. Sure. Maybe I just don't need to be here for this. It is weird that Buffy didn't warn him, but I guess she doesn't know that he's aware of the supernatural because later she's like, yeah, this is probably all a little weird for you, huh? And he's like, well, you'd be surprised. But fucking Ben's still flirting with Buffy like this whole time. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't think we'd meet under these circumstances, but it's whatever. I'm chill. (laughs) This pisses Spike off, obviously. I mean, he's just kind of moping. And then Ben notices Dawn and gives her this look like, well, maybe I could just kill her a little bit. Nobody would know. (laughs) Ben gets Giles somewhat under control, but says they probably should get him out of here at some point. Meanwhile, Spike's fuming about Ben being there, and he can't light a cigarette with his bloody hands, so Xander helps him out. Spike kind of pitches the idea to Xander of using the general as a shield and making a run for it. But Buffy overhears this. She's like, no, that's too chancy. This is all happening in the room where the general is. So he's all like, do I smell mutiny in your hands, Captain Buffy? She slaps him, but he forgives her and decides it's time to open up, I guess. <laughs> she hits him super hard. He like spits out blood. He's like, now I'll tell you everything. You've passed the test. <laughs> he tells her that Glory, some of this I think we knew, but he tells her that Glory was one of three hell gods, but she kind of grew more powerful and evil than the other two, which freaked them out. So they teamed up against her and banished her to this lower plane of existence where she's forced to live and eventually die trapped in the body of a newborn male created as her prison. So all they got to do is kill that man, but nobody knows who he is. So my question is, was Ben like born of a woman? Like, has he been around since he was a baby? Did he just appear? That's not really answered. They say newborn man, but... The minion also said he wouldn't exist without Glory. So did he have parents that had sex? Who who raised him? When did, how old was he when he became? So if I had to guess, and I am, because I don't think the show does go into more detail. I would think that these minions raised him. And he just appeared as a baby? That's what I would guess. He came out of no wombs? Maybe even a minion fucking birthed him. Who knows? Gross. Like this lady, you think? This new lady? The crone? Yeah, this crone. Crones love babies. They love them. She's mad that he became an adult. But the general goes on to say that Glory is, like, super powerful, obviously, so she's occasionally able to escape her prison, a.k.a. Ben, but then has to go back in when she loses energy. It's confusing that she wouldn't have Ben's memories, though. Like, if you get to sleep through prison, it's not much of a prison. You know what I mean? Yeah, I hear what you're saying. So she's just sort of like, sort of like the show Severance, where it's just, like, interrupted consciousness. Yeah, I mean, I guess if she doesn't, She wants to go back to her god status, but she could just, like, succumb and be Ben and not have to, like, actually feel like she's in prison. Yeah. You could even argue that maybe she's supposed to remember his memories, but he's taking drugs, so she doesn't. Yeah, it seemed like the drugs was a new thing, though. I don't know. Yeah, who knows? Dawn's creeping on all this, like she do. She's like, ooh, do me next. What's my backstory? We've been (laughs) waiting all season for that, too. Was I born of a person? (laughs) Did the crone birth me? I don't know why Dawn's talking like this. Sounds like Michelle Trachtenberg. The general says that the key is almost as old as the beast itself, but no one knows where it came from or how it was created. But its power is absolute. The monks thought they could harness this power for good, but this guy doesn't seem to think that's possible. So his people are trying to destroy it regardless. 
She's like, cool, cool. But like, what do I do though? Like, what's my power? He's like, oh, right. You open the gate between dimensions so the beast can go home, but that'll like also open all the gates, creating total chaos and crumbling reality. MBD. Sounds like a big deal. Sounds like a big, big deal. Yeah, this is bad news. So Dawn's trying to take this all in. Buffy says she won't let anything happen to her. I don't know, Buffy. If it's Dawn or the universe, I think you got to let Dawn go. Yeah. Right? Like, I mean, I know she's trying to comfort her, but. So I feel like there's some sense that the monks gave her that she just like cannot think rationally about it. Dawn? No, Buffy. Uh Because she thinks it's her sister still, even though she like knows it's not. She like still feels. She still has all that emotional attachment. Yeah, and now they're, like, bonded even harder because their mom died. And the Slayer, like, the first Slayer mentioned that, like, she has so much emotion and love. Mm-hmm. The general is like, Psst, Ben, you're new here, right? These people are making a big mistake. Listen, I know you're just an intern, but, like, you gotta do something. This could be your moment. Kill the girl. She's the key. You wanna join us, man? We need <laughs> one more dude. <laughs> That's how we get all the boys. Love to get, like, half a woman if that was possible. Ben knows she's the key, though, already. Yeah. Ben's like, I don't know if you know that I know what you're talking about, but I have been thinking about killing her, so thank you for that information, sir. So then Ben starts coming at dawn with a syringe, saying some, like, cryptic stuff in a sus way, but it's just medicine for Giles. It was a trick. He's just taking care of Giles. Don't worry. Ben's still cool, everybody. Except he's not. Turns out he can't keep his shit together. It's seeming like he's going to go all glory. He starts demanding Willow let him out now, but it's too late. He turns into glory. The general's like, oh, hey, beast. She's like, hey, pal. And frisbees like a hubcap into his gut. So he's done. I love that because it really showed glory's strength here. Because I feel like the obvious thing to do is hubcap decapitates him, right? Mm-hmm. And we've seen that before. With Buffy did that to Luke in like episode two of the show with, with like a drum set. But this is just like, no, this is just in your fucking chest. Spike tries to fight her. Nice try, pal. Buffy tries to. Not helpful. So Glory just grabs Dawn. Pretty easily punches a hole through the force field. Buffy's like, Willow, get the fucking force field down now, please. She does. She's still got the black eyes. That can't be good. So everyone goes outside. All the knights are dead or dying. Like, Glory got all them quick while Buffy was inside for a second. Spike says they should all go to the car that Ben brought. Willow's like, come on, Buffy, we gotta go. We gotta get Dawn. But Buffy's just done. Season five is too much. Yeah. She just like falls to her knees. She can't even. Willow's begging for her to get up, but she's just like sitting there panicking. And that's how it ends. It ends on sort of like a positive high note, you know? Nah, it seems bad. Everything's not good. Yeah, it's uh it's a downer, definitely. So Brian, did you think this is a good episode? I did. It's action-packed. It's a lot of exposition about what the hell is happening. That's true. There is a lot, which is needed. But I think because it's so action-packed, it doesn't feel annoying. And it comes late, Yeah, a lot of it. I mean, to be fair, if I'm being totally objective, there's a lot of stuff that's insane. Like, these knights are insane. Like, why would the knights not use modern technology in addition to whatever they need to kill demons and whatever? Like, the horses. Why not have a fucking car? A car can go faster. A car, you don't have to feed. I mean, you do have to feed a gas, but, like, you can get so much farther in a car. So the idea that they're using horses is, like, what? The armor and, like, the swords, sure. But the horse, what? Right. 
But they even call out that the action scene is crazy, right? Because Dawn doesn't say, like, things couldn't get worse. She says things couldn't get crazier than it's like, well, fucking horses in an RV fight. But overall, I thought it was a good episode. I thought it was a definitely dark ending, but it started really fast and strong. And, like, it cooled down for a second, but then it just started ramping up again. It reminded me of the last book of Harry Potter. Yes. Like, they've left the school. <laughs> they've yeah. left, like... I don't know, books one through six of Harry Potter, though they proceed to get darker and slightly less formulaic, perhaps, compared to the first two or three. But the, but the first six are very formulaic. Yeah, it's really like a school the same. year. We're yeah. fighting a big bad. We're going here. We're going to the, the town to get our magic stuff before school, all that stuff. Yeah, I think as the book series progresses, they spend more time dealing with the darkness than they do about getting their books or setting up the floating candles or whatever. But like book seven, they're like, we're not going back to school. We yeah. got darker shit to deal with, which we're is not kind doing of, any of that. We're living in the woods. Yeah. And that's what's happening now. They're like yeah. on the run. There's no monster of the week. It's like life or death. We got to go. Yeah. No one else can solve the problem. Not much time for jokes, even. They're a couple, but there's just like isn't time. Yeah. There's kind of a section I didn't talk about a ton where they're just like on the RV kind of making some jokes, but maybe none of them were like the ones that I thought were really funny. I mentioned. Yeah. So we got to ask which episode was better. I think Buffy. Yeah, I'm going to go Buffy. It's like a bigger Buffy. It's trying to do a lot more. It was pretty epic. Yeah. Humor wasn't bad. It was good. But. I agree. It was a unique Buffy. Yeah, for me, it was pretty obvious Buffy. Just like everything I said. Action, exposition, emotion, Giles. I just love Giles and Buffy's relationship so much. Yeah. Him saying those things to her, like, you're everything I could have ever asked for. Like, I'm so proud of you. It's just like, oh my God, Giles, I love you. It might be the drugs. Ben's giving him drugs, and we don't know what Ben's drugs are. They're probably the same drugs he uses to keep Gloria under wraps. They're not that helpful. Yeah, so Giles probably won't be taken over by Gloria, but yeah. that conversation was actually before the drugs. So yeah, I'm going to have to go with uh, Buffy on this one. Buffy it is. Well, if you guys want to watch along next week, we'll be watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Season 5, Episode 21, The Weight of the World. Obviously, Jesus. got a theme here. Uh, it's bad is the theme. <laughs> We'll also be watching Gilmore Girls Season 5, Episode 21, Blame, Booze, and Melville. Interesting. In the meantime, we'd love to hear your thoughts on the episodes discussed in this podcast. Was Ben a baby? What's going on with Logan's shirt, guys? Who do you think raised better points in the post-dinner fight, Lorelai or Emily and Richard? Is Logan just literally sitting by the phone waiting for Rory to call every time? How long do you think it took Orlando to get into that outfit? How long would you have left Taylor under that horse? Let us know. You can reach out to us by following us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at Gilmore Slayer, where we post interactive questions, comedy sketches based on each episode, and more. Or send us an email at brianandstacyreviews at gmail.com. That's Brian with a Y and Stacy with an E-Y. For more bonus content, follow us on Patreon, patreon.com slash brianandstacy, where we post weekly video recaps of Angel, host monthly live stream watch parties of Buffy and Gilmore Girls, post monthly podcast outtakes, and share early extended episode previews. And shout out to our new Patreon subscriber, Gladys Cruz. Thank you. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel, also called Brian and Stacy. If you want to support the podcast, you can do so by making a donation of your choosing via the link found at the bottom of our episode description or in our social media bios. And if you like what you're hearing, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and we'll give you a shout-out on an upcoming podcast. These five-star ratings really help us out a lot and bring new people in to listen to our podcast. Would you like it if I brought in a nice-smelling candle? Yes. Well, you're fucking insane. Oh. No one can sleep with a nice smelling candle in the room. <laughs> Just fire me. Just do it. I knew it was coming. This is how we role play. Um, I pretend to be Emily. <laughs> <laughs>
Stay and I'm always a different maid. I love it. It's a lot of women for me. And I really am attracted to Emily. 